Jesus is speaking. It's the center of the Sermon on the Mount. A summary of it in many ways. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Everybody shout amen. Amen. Please be seated. We are two days before elections. And because the atmosphere has become so toxic, I thought that I'd take a moment and preach this message before the election. Because all of us should be asking the question, those of us who are Jesus followers, how would Jesus have me to respond? What role would he have me, a Jesus follower, to play in this horrendously divisive and polarized time in our country? I'm actually worried about the direction that our country is moving in. Now, uh, so I'm going to ask that you listen to me by pulling off whatever political hat or lens or hearing you have. So CNN and Fox News and all that stuff, leave it at the door today because I really am not interested in how you vote, what kind of politician you're going to be, your politics. I'm interested in what kind of Jesus follower you're going to be in this season. All right, so uh, I need not remind you but I will just the last seven days a lot been going on that reminds us how toxic and how dangerous times have become last Saturday in Tree of Life synagogue in Pittsburgh a fellow walked in and brutally murdered 11 folk worshiping in their own community one of the ironies of ironies in the midst of that horror One gentleman who was in his mid-90s had survived the Holocaust only to be murdered in worship in his synagogue in America. Then the next day, the fellow went to an African-American church to shoot up people, but the church doors was locked on a Sunday like this. And so he went down to the nearest Kroger store and shot two African-Americans. And then said to the guy who pulled a gun on him, said, look, white people don't shoot white people. And then on just yesterday, a fellow walked into a, uh, in Florida, walked into a yoga studio and shot and killed two people, wounded five. And the toxic atmosphere that surrounds all of this is aiding and abating it. So the question that we all need to be asking is, what can I do? Everybody shout, what can I do? What can I do? So there's there's a couple things you can do. The first thing is is easy. So let me just get it out of the way real quick. I'm assuming that if you have not already done it, that on Tuesday, you're going to actually go and vote your conviction and your values, whatever that might be. Everybody shout, vote. vote. And let me just say this. If you do not vote, please. After that, keep your opinion to yourself. 
Because I think you concede the right to complain about anything if you're too apathetic. That was a nice word. To go and vote. <laughs> Everybody shout, go vote. <laughs> your values and your convictions, whatever they might be. The second thing that we can do is I'm going to spend the rest of this time talking about it. And answer the question, what role does Jesus want me to play? What does Jesus expect from me as a follower? And if you're not a Jesus follower, just listen in. Uh, because I think this is good advice for you as well. And it's simple. It's taken right from the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preaches. He lays out a radical agenda for those who would follow him. It stretches from chapter 5 to chapter 7 in Matthew. And in many ways, it's summarized right here. Jesus is saying, I want you to go be a light in the darkness. Everybody shout, light. light. In a toxic, dark atmosphere, he's expecting you and he's expecting me and all Jesus followers to be so radically different that we're actually light in the darkness. So how do you, how do you be light in this, this darkness? Well, first of all, you need to make a radical commitment to daily, shout every day, daily demonstrate that your highest commitment on the planet is to Jesus Christ. That means your commitment to him is higher than your commitment to country, flag, politics or even yourself there is only one lord of eternity that's where your highest loyalty order reigns now here's how jesus addresses this in matthew chapter 22 uh he's beginning to displace some people religiously and so religious politics is kicking in how many of you know that religion can be used for good and religion can be used for bad and so here it is here uh religious leaders coming to Jesus, one of them, an expert in the law, Pharisee in that context, he says to try to trap him with the question, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus doesn't miss a beat. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart. Shout all, all your soul and all your mind. What he's saying is that God has to be your highest affection, your highest loyalty, that, 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 that your highest commitment should be to God. Then he says, this is the first and greatest commandment. Watch this. But he then says, a second is what? Equally important. What is that? Love your neighbor as what? As yourself. As yourself. So we have to be radically committed. Make sure that God is the highest loyalty in our lives. And we have to be radically committed to relationship. Loving our neighbors as I said, now, does he qualify neighbor here? Does it say what I really meant to say was love your Democratic neighbor? or love your Republican neighbor. or your white or your black or your Asian neighbor. Did he say, no, I want you to love your rich neighbor. Or no, love your poor neighbor. Or no, love your straight neighbor, your gay neighbor. No, neighbor. That's it. Well, Luke takes it and pulls the span back on this. You read it when you get home, Luke chapter 10. He pulls the lens back and we see that it says the guy wanted to justify himself. So he says, he asked kind of what we are thinking. He says, oh, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus grabs that question. It's incredible what he does with it. He tells this parable about this Jewish guy who leaves Jerusalem and he goes down the winding road towards Jericho. 
And on his way, he's attacked viciously and violently by some thieves who beat him nearly to death and robs him and leave him on the ground, bleeding himself. Jesus says that the, 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 the religious leaders from this guy's own faith comes by, the priests and the Levite, but they're, they're, so, they're afraid of what could be lurking that, that they, they, they leave him, they don't bother him. But then he says somebody from another religion, somebody from another ethnicity, some, somebody from uh, 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 another faith, actually a faith that, 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 that this particular uh, folk, that the guy who's on the ground would most likely have looked down on in that day. That is the Samaritan, shout Samaritan, who didn't let theology get in the way. Come on now. Who didn't let who likes who get in the way, but he saw a wounded man on the ground and he risked his all to attend to the wounded man who probably didn't even like him. Jesus is saying, that's what I expect of my followers. I was so proud of New Beginnings on yesterday and Friday night. There was three Sabbath services, Jewish worship services here by the Jewish community. Grieving over the horrendous uh, attack in Pittsburgh. This, this synagogue about 20 years ago had also been burnt down through a similar, similar act. And, and during that time, a, a Christian took, church took in. Uh, the people that was a part of the synagogue and folk all over Redwood City helped them to rebuild this beautiful edifice and Christians were in the lead of that. And, and so they decided to create space in their mission so that Christian churches who needed a space could host. You see how amazing this, this kind of out of ugliness, how God can bring something pretty remarkable. And so... And so, and so we wanted to be with them. We wanted to love on them. We wanted to know that, that in this context, you know, they were the Samaritan. Uh, they were the, they were the Jewish guy who had fallen, had been beaten, had been wounded. And we wanted to let them know that, that we were with them, that we loved them, that we wanted to tend to their woundedness. So out close to maybe 150, 200 of us between Friday night and two worship gatherings on Saturday showed up here. I spoke and I, people were weeping in the seats. The Jewish, some of the folk from the community because they were so overwhelmed at a time of such great hatred they were being inundated with such amazing love from a people of another faith from Christians come on now and 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 we weren't Republican Christians or Democratic Christians or black or white or rich or poor we realized that our loyalty to Jesus was higher than all that stuff we were just a loving Christian community taking care of the wounded that is the model. That's how, how the Christian church can make a difference. Can make a difference. We all know the fact is that whoever is a victim, whatever group is targeted by hatred and violence, that Jesus follows ought to go do what Jesus would do. He would care for them, whether they're Jewish a Muslim, whether they have a different sexual orientation, then, then we might be, et cetera, et cetera, right? Because at the end of the day, uh, there are some things, some areas where theology doesn't matter. Your lifestyle choices doesn't matter. I, I don't have to agree with your life choices or your theology to love and help you in a time of need. 
That's what Jesus' followers do. Because he's the highest loyalty. So that's the first thing that we can do. Shout every day. Shout every day. Every day we can practice a radical commitment to Jesus that we're going to handle people the way Jesus handles them. Radical. Secondly, thing that we can do is discern our hearts. Tell the person next to you, remind me to pay attention to my heart. Tell them. Discern your heart. Figure out what's going on in your heart and keep bringing it to God to work on your heart. All of us, because we all need some heart surgery every now and then now. The first thing I want to challenge you is, is just be aware that under every major political passion is a hurt or fear or need. And so I give you a little homework here. Go home today and figure out what is a political something that I'm so uh, horrendously committed to. Whatever that is, I suggest you do a little work, get a little piece of paper and ask yourself, all right, now what feeling is attached to this? Is it because I'm afraid of something? Is it because there's some pain here that it has tapped into? Is it because there's a need or a, 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 a serious interest that I have that's tied to a need? And then once you identify the feeling that's attached to it, then I want you to ask yourself, now what story is connected to this? Because to every fear, there's a story you got. For, for every pain in your life, there's a story attached to it. For every need that you have, there is a story attached to it. So I want you to kind of identify, pull out the policies. Come on, what's the need, what's the fear, and what's the story? Now here's what you're going to do with it. First of all, as Jesus followers, number one, there are some arguments you ought to avoid. Now, those of you who've been married, you ought to know this rule. Some stuff is not worth arguing about. Come on now. Because all it's going to leave is the unnecessary divisiveness. Right? But there will be times when you'll need to give into account for whatever your political position is. And when you do... Don't argue at the level of policy. Start at this level. Say, hey, let me tell you my story. And let me show you the hurt, the fear, the pain that's going on. And because you're a Jesus follower, then you need to be able to flip it and say, okay, I've shared my story. Tell me your story. Tell me your pain. Tell me your fear that's attached to it. And, and even if we don't agree politically, I can, because I'm a Jesus follower, I care about people who are wounded. I care about people who are fearing. I, I, I actually care about you. So we can agree to disagree politically and I can still care for you. That's a tenacious commitment to a relationship. Let me, let me exemplify. Let me give you an example so you can, you can really get this. I know somebody right now who lived in the valley, who over the last several years, the rent started off at 3000 Next year, jumped to 3500 Next year, jumped to 4000 Next year, jumped to 4500 Somebody shout fear. You heard rent control talked about in the, in the video. So they, they would advocate rent control because here's what they're saying. They got a fear. They're saying if it keeps jumping, then it means I'm going to have to make different educational choices for my kids. And if it keeps jumping, 
I can't afford to live here. We're going to have to move out of the Bay. All right. I know somebody else in San Francisco who inherited some property. The whole apartment of, of uh, uh, apartment condos. Because rent control is in San Francisco. The people who live in there uh, have the rent of 1980, 1990s rent. So he can't raise the rent because there's rent control, right? He's got mortgage, he's got maintenance, but he can't raise the rent because the rent. He's got to wait till somebody move out. Now you know if you if you got 1980, 1990 rent, you ain't moving nowhere. Come on, you're not going nowhere in the Bay Area. Are you kidding me? So you know what he's got to do? He got to wait till somebody die. That's the only way they're gonna get out of there. <laughs> And his biggest fear is that if rent control is passed, come on now, that he'll even lose the ability that if somebody died right now, somebody died, he can raise the rent to market rate, help him pay for uh, mortgage and utilities and all of that for the whole thing. But his fear is that if it passed, he'll lose that capacity, which means he might just lose ownership of his property. Say story. You see? What I, what I, but both of them are Jesus followers. So let's get them in the room. Let them not talk about the policy, but talk about their stories. Talk about their fears. And even if they can't reach a political compromise, just go ahead and vote. Your conviction, go ahead and vote your values. Watch it. But because you're Jesus followers and you have respect for each other's feelings, after you vote, go to Panera Bread, get some salad and some bread and some juice. Come on now. And then, and then Saturday, take care of each other's kids. Come on now. Monday night, do a small group together. Sunday, show up here and worship Jesus Christ together. That's what it means to be light in darkness. Does that make sense? Be aware. Let me give you the scripture to give you the insight here. Matthew says it powerfully in the message version. Chapter 5, verse 8 through 9. Here's what he says. You're blessed when you get your inside world, meaning your mind and your heart, put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You know, when those two people get together and hear each other's story, you know what? They're able to see God in each other's stories. Wow. Secondly, I'm just telling you what you can do to change, to be a light. Whatever your age, whatever your economic income, however flawed you think you are, here's some things you can do. He was talking to tons of people at the mountain. They were just like you and me. Second thing is, be humble. Come on, everybody shout, be humble. Be humble. It's right, right in the center of the be attitudes. Verse 5, he says this. Very clearly, Jesus teaches this. Uh, he says, uh, essentially, blessed, blessed are those who are what? Y'all didn't say that like you, humble. Come on, if you're humble, say it loud. Let's try it again. God bless those who are. Yes, for they will inherit the what? whole earth meaning because God can do great work through the lives of folk who are humble 
Paul, uh, the proverb says it this, God opposes the proud and he blesses the humble. Paul defines humility like this. The reason why God can work miracles through you is because Paul says, be humble, put the interests of others ahead of yourself. You, you learn how to concede ground that's rightfully yours to other. God can work miracles in marriages like that, work miracles in political arenas like that. It used to be you could compromise like that. Humility. He says, be humble. All right, let me explain how to be humble because some of you may not know. If you go to Matthew chapter 7, Jesus revisits the same. Remember the, 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 the sermon goes from chapter 5 to chapter 7. So beginning in chapter 1, it's chapter 7, verse 1, he, he, he talks about being humble a different way. Here's what he says Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Now, let me, let me, let me bring judge to a place where we, let me change the words. You know what Jesus is saying? Don't falsely label other people's heart just because they disagree with you. Don't falsely label other people's group because they're on the wrong side of the issue from you. Because if you set in motion a culture that falsely labels people just because of their position, you, it's going to become a toxic culture and you're going to wake up and discover that there are people falsely labeling you. All right, let me see. Can I bring it home this way? Look, when I was in Boston, our, our church was politically engaged, never partisan. I don't believe in preachers supporting political candidates. I think that's crazy. You give up your prophetic authority doing that. But we're very political because there's sometimes when the church ought to speak up in a prophetic way. And so, and so I got to know a lot of uh, uh, Republicans and, and their views, know them and love them. And I got to know and work with them. And I got to know a lot of Democrats and their views, know them and love them and worked with them. And here's what I can tell you. Here's what I learned. Here's what I, people that I know right now. I know wealthy people who routinely vote against their economic interests. They vote to raise taxes regularly because they have a radical commitment to the poor and to the marginalized. But I also know wealthy people who, as a matter of policy, routinely vote for smaller government and less taxes, but they are as equally radically committed to the poor and to the marginalized. I know them because I know some of them who give away 50% of their wealth every year to support poor people and the marginalized. Be careful about your labels. I, I, I know gay people who theologically disagree with same-sex marriage. And I know straight folk who have nobody gay in their families who, as a point of conviction, very much support same-sex marriage. Watch your labels. I know people who, in their words, uh, support a woman's right to choose, but in their own right, in their own lives, would never do an abortion because they feel that it's wrong. Watch your labels. I know uh, 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 folk who support strong security at the borders, but they are not anti-immigrants because they themselves are first or second generation immigrants. They have undocumented family members living in their house that they love. Be careful about your labels. I know Republicans who think Mr. Trump has done a great job 
driving their interests, but they are embarrassed about the fact that he doesn't represent their values. I know African-American Democrats who felt great about Mr. Obama representing their values, but they would tell you if they were here today, they don't think he did a good enough job representing their interests. Be careful about your labels. That's what it means, don't judge, lest you be judged. Let me put it another way. Have you ever heard yourself say, all white people are this? All black people are like this? All rich people are like this? All Republican people are like this? All Democratic people are like this? All poor people are like this? Have you ever heard that reverberate in your heart, in your mind? Come on now, if you have, don't hide it, just confess it. This is a time to repent right now because I'm here to tell you that life is a whole lot more nuanced than that. I've got some friends who think that all white people are evil. Are you crazy? Come on, I can run down a list of people who I wouldn't be here and they're white if they, I wouldn't be here if they had not loved me and supported me and took care of me. Come on now. But I know some other folk who think all black people are criminals. Are you crazy? Watch your alls. That's, that's labels. That Jesus says, my followers don't, don't traffic in labels. All right. Be aware. Shout, be aware. Shout, be humble. Oh, let me make this point about humility. This extra point. Here's what arrogance says. I'm always right. That's what arrogance says. Y'all know people like this. If they're sitting by you, don't look at them. Just look at me. Well, it's been years since they said anything that they were wrong. Come on now. I'm always right. Come on. Come on. Listen, my wife, she's not like this, but when we first got married, she knew how to get under my skin. And so when, when I, she catch me in something, and I have to admit it, right? And then my response would be, well, have you ever been wrong? And because and, and she knew how to get under my skin, she'd immediately say, nope. <laughs> and then she said, wait, wait, wait. This is her favorite line. She said, wait, I was wrong one time. She said, 1976. I think it was April the 3rd. I thought I was wrong, but discovered I was right. <laughs> now, that's not how she is. She owns and I own and all that stuff. But listen, there are some people just like that. In this political discourse, never wrong. But you know that's not true, right? You know that cannot be true about you. Because Paul says in Romans 3, 23, he says, we have all sinned. We are all sinners who continue to fall short of the glorious standards of God. So if I keep falling short of God's standard, that's the brokenness in my life. It's bound to affect my lens through which I look at politics and religion and interpret the text and all kinds of way and treat people in relationships. So yes, humility says I'm wrong sometimes. 
If you want to get your marriage to the next level, be able to admit I'm wrong sometimes. I'm wrong sometimes. And then get inside somebody else's story and grow. Now here's the last point on humility. Shout, be humble. Here's, here's, here's my favorite. Learn to be humble when you're right. Don't, 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 don't rub the other person's nose in it. Do, do, do what my wife does. She, she waits for me to confess. And then when I confess, she says, I love you, baby, and moves on. That's how you, that's how you drive resentment when you're not humble when you're right. Now, all right, shall be aware. Come on. Shout, be humble. I'm telling you how to be a light. I'm telling you how to be a light. Shout, be angry. Come on, say it again. Be angry. But don't sin. That's it, isn't it? That's what Paul says in Ephesians 4, 26. That he said, he tells us, he says, he says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. The King James Version says, be angry, but sin not. He said, don't, don't let sin get in control of your life. Uh, and one of the ways he says, don't let the sun go down on your, on your, on your, and you still angry. Now, you know what he's saying? Let me make it contemporary. What he's saying, you know, some of us, we get inside this political stuff and we watch CNN or we watch Fox. We watch it all day, all night. Next morning, we get up first thing it's on and they telling us who to like and who not to like and who to be angry about and all this. And we just get more and angry and more angry and more angry and more angry. He Paul says that's dangerous. Come on now. When you get home, read verse 22 forward in chapter five. And Jesus will make this point. Be careful about getting angry because first thing you're angry. And then next thing it takes control. You call people names. The next thing you cussing that folk. Come on. And then the next thing you're doing, you're doing the unthinkable to people and, and, and if you're not careful you'll end up Jesus says in hell fires because your anger has gotten control of your life let me prove it the young man who went into the uh, into the uh, 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 yoga did you hear his story did you hear he, he, he got it rejected repeatedly by women and he wallowed in that rejection and that anger became hatred and the hatred made him a murderer. Always remember this. There's always two sources for anger. One source is love. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are they who thirst for hunger, who, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There are also, there's some things that will make you angry out of a place of love. You love the Jewish community. So to be angry when you hear that 11 people got killed innocently like that. Come on now. Come on. You, 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 you love folk who are being looked over and walked by. So you get angry when, when that's, when that, that's fine. There's things that ought to make you angry. It comes from a place of love. But there's another kind of anger that comes from a place of hate. And you've got to regularly check your heart and figure out, is this love or is this hate? Right. And, 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 and listen, I know some folk who are into liberation theology and, and, and they love fighting for the oppressed, but they hate the oppressor. When if that's who you are, turn in your morality card, because Dr. King made it clear. He said, darkness will never drive out 
darkness. It takes light to do that. Hate will never drive out hate. It takes love to do that. The moment you start hating other folk, you've just started to slide towards becoming the way they are. And you think you're justified. There's never justification for hate. Listen, listen, listen. Uh, the, the folk who shot up the people in the, in the, in the Jewish community, or uh, what about the KKK or the Nazi folk who've been marching around in, in Charlottesville? Do you know what? Talking about Jews will never replace us and they want to get rid of all black people and all this kind of stuff because they feel like we're stealing the country from them. Listen, I don't hate them. I feel sorry for them. I have compassion for them. They sick, y'all. And if you hate them, how can you be a part of their salvation? If you hate them, how can you be a part of their redemption? If you hate them, how can you be a, an avenue of deliverance? If you hate them, how can you tell them about a Jesus who died to shed his blood for them and for us? If you hate like they hate. So I want you to go home and check, check your anger. It's okay to be angry, but what's the source of it? Is it driving you towards hate? And if it is, you start confessing it. There's certain people in the political state that you just hate. You need to confess it and ask Jesus, change my heart. Be angry, but sin not. And here's the last one. Pastor Dan Monroe gave this to me, so I give him credit first time. This Sunday, next Sunday, his mind's. That's what Dan Moreau said. Tell him to follow the spirit of Christ and not the spirit of news commentators. Wow. At the end of the day, Fox or CNN or whoever you listen to, that is not your Lord. They do not know the full story. They're doing the best they can to report what they know. Come on now. But they're always reporting it from a slice, from a vantage point, from a perspective. Thank God Jesus knows your full story, right? Because if I judged you on the slice of the story that I knew, who knows what I would conclude that you are. But Jesus says, I know all the crazy stuff that you've done, but I know the full story. Come on now. I know the why beneath the, I know the fear, the hurt, the pain. I love you. All right, let me finish it. Consistently be radical in your commitment to Jesus. Show up every day as a Christian. Discern what's in your heart. Keep giving it over. And lastly, there are a lot of people dreaming crazy dreams about how to further polarize. How to further divide Jesus people you ought to dream crazy dreams you ought to sit up and let you imagine you ought to say God help me to dream about how to be a bridge builder how to use my business as a bridge builder how to be a bridge builder in my in my work how to be a bridge builder come on in my family how to how to be God show me show me so much craziness going on show me how to bridge build a bridge between two folk that don't like each other because of political difference show me show me how to how to be show me God show me show me I want to dream crazy big dreams the first thing that you want to begin to do is to learn how to what I call depolarize everybody shout depolarize I used to be in community organizing back in Boston and we had this thing. Watch it. 
that we would, politics always requires, some of you don't know this, always requires you to polarize. You make things black and white because people can't vote nuance. But how many of you know there's no perfect legislative policy? There's always nuance. So you make this right, make this wrong, and you did these people that and these people that, and you go after them and you get to vote. But at least we had enough sense to say there's no permanent allies and there's no permanent foes. And so what would happen after the campaign is over, we'd go and meet with those folks and start depolarizing because you might be my foe on this issue, but you'd be my ally on the other issue because we realize you can't let politics get personal. That's what Ronald Reagan, the Republican president and Tip O'Neill, the, the Democratic Speaker of the House, they would fight like cats and dogs during the daytime but at night they would they'd have a martini together and they would attend to their relationship and they were able to get stuff done come on now because they didn't let politics become so personal that it destroyed their relationship because they realized that each person was a good person just had a different perspective so start depolarizing here's how you do depolarize your heart how do you do it? Jesus said, pray for those that despitefully use you. Do good to those that would evil. How do you depolarize them? Follow Jesus' lead. He's being crucified. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Depolarize your relationship. Intentionally go and connect with people who might have radically disagreed and hurt because of how you voted. And help them to see that you, there's more to life that you agree on than what you disagree share your stories and then finally the best way to depolarize is to serve people together that's what we're going to do next week y'all we're not going to meet here you know what we're going to do republicans democrats progressives and liberals that's we all that here we're not going to meet here we're going to go down to those two schools that are under resourced that's caught up in the politics of the day. You know, the atmosphere is going to be horrible. People are going to be fighting one another. But then they're going to look up. These kids, these teachers, they're going to look up. They're going to see black and white and Asian and rich and poor rolling up their sleeves, loving one another, working and transforming those facilities together. And as we work together, we get to know each other and we love one another. And we are a witness to a greater, greater, greater plan of God to transform this country one relationship at are you in? Oh, y'all don't sound like it. Are you in? Come on, are you in? Praise God. Give God a hand, praise. Give God a hand, praise.